0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Justin Palmer Show. Today's consciousness known as my guest, Shane Davis, the creative force behind Public Records NYC, which is, it's a phenomenal establishment. And I'm very grateful that they've navigated through COVID and the challenges of being challenged with, uh, the challenges of being challenged, the challenges of being closed during the COVID, whatever this thing is, Shane shared his incredible story. Just very humble beginnings, uh, kind of connected with the workforce in a very typical way and decided to branch out on his own and created this creative vortex of a place in Brooklyn uh, called Public Records NYC. I hope you guys enjoy the show. This was an incredible one. We we covered a lot of ground, very deep and and meditative conversation. Enjoy the show.
1: It's just show. Here we go. Woo.
0: Okay, Mr. Shane Davis. Hey, How's man. it going in New York City?
1: It's going good. How's it going over
0: there? It's uh, it, it's normal. It's, it's normal as normal can be out here for sure. I mean, the weather doesn't really vary that much, which is nice. Um, it, I was thinking about this the other day. It Just the luck of leaving New York City in March was, uh, it was a real blessing for, for my family. And, uh, you know, just hang, hanging outside and getting to do some some cool outdoor stuff like fishing. My son's birthday was the other day. And I told him I'd catch him a fish and we'd only caught ones that you could throw back. And I caught him a, a nice little fish to fillet for his you birthday. Which is like a cool, Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. Yeah. I, I put that out into the universe, you know, it, the that's universe a, provides.
1: That's a bold, that was a bold move. I feel like
0: <laughs> I had mastered. Where was your ba- headspace
1: in there? Were you just like laser focused? Like, I yeah. got to do this.
0: No, I was at peace with it. It's uh, the, one of our neighbors, he, he's like a master fisherman. He grew up fishing in Texas and he's just been like coming down when I'm in the water and giving me super pro tips. Like every time he sees me, he's just super nice. And one of them is that there's these little, we call them sand turtles. I don't I don't even know what they are. They're like a crustacean that live in the sand. They only come out to eat these things called Portuguese manoirs, which are a small jellyfish. So when the Manowars are out, we were like afraid of them at first because they sting you and it's super uncomfortable. It kind of feels like a kettle is burning you slowly. Um, yeah, <laughs> you you actually get used to it and it's not even that bad. But it, the first time you're like, what is that? But you take these things and you toss them at the edge of where the waves are coming up onto the beach and the sand turtles come out and you can get them with a shovel. And these sand turtles are the best bait. Like the other like last... Saturday I was using them as bait and every time I cast out, something was biting. That's so, pretty I mean, amazing. It's the, so you
1: it, talk about having an like, idyllic experience, you move into this awesome house in Hawaii, and then just some old like head fisherman stumbles upon and starts dropping knowledge on like the local tradition and culture. It's it's pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah. It's I, I am a believer the universe provides, you know.
1: Yeah, it's cool. I guess we have Different, But, you know, when we caught up the other day, somewhat similar trajectories are very convenient with having the opportunity to leave New York right before things got super dark. It's a kind of interesting, um, you know, to think about just how fast the different experiences some of us have had based on just circumstance. I and mean, it sounds obvious, but, you know, we missed, like we got back to New York, right? right when things had settled down and people were feeling positive and the energy was just like amazing. But, you know, I have no idea what it felt like viscerally, you know, preceding that. And um, I wonder, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I didn't have any regrets or any issues with, with bouncing like that, which it was, we were just talking about that before we started. The, the process of kind of deciding to leave New York, especially when you, when you're an entrenched New Yorker, even the, at least for me, the idea of leaving New York was, is just not palatable,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: There's, there's no, you, you get in this mindset of like, there's no place that could even compare. And it's such a weird mind fuck <laughs> that it, it took years for my wife and I to kind of process how we wanted to look at designing our life. Now I'm wondering, I, I know you bought a house in Austin, you were able to get out. What, what prompted that decision to, to go down to Austin
1: well, it's interesting that you mentioned that cause my um, my now wife had was was pretty inspired to leave New York for the past couple of years um, and I you know we used to argue about it and I, I felt just like you the idea of leaving New York it was like it was almost like you're the end of some It was a fundamental life change that felt like a a giant disappointment it was like what have i been working for if i'm not in new york what is because i feel like when you when you come up especially when you don't come from much in new york you're just on this path and this journey to create this hypothetical you know circumstance um and even if you're even if you get to a point as you get older where you're not so consumed with you know status or whatever it may be you're, you're still sort of i think subconsciously on this On this journey to achieve something um, that doesn't feel like it's attainable outside of new york Um, and i i guess for me i mean i was i was building public records my business at the time so even more so it felt like i still had a lot to do Um, and we bought the house really as an investment property she's uh, does a lot of work out there designing hotels so we had spent some time she went to school there and, um, it just seemed like, it seemed like an interesting investment opportunity, um, and, you know, just like, just like a typical New Yorker, I thought about it like a project, right. It was like, let's buy this house, she'll design it, I'll brand it, you know, we'll create this whole, you know, sort of identity and story for it. And it'll be, a, it'll be a project, right. Which is what kind of, I guess what first, um, got me excited about it and got, got me committed, um, and then. Yeah, when COVID hit, we had literally just finished renovating it. She had like staged it for our first guests a couple of weeks prior. So it was literally all set up as if someone was going to come stay there at the hotel. And as soon as things got bad in New York, I was just like, let's go. Bad feeling about this. Let's just get out of here. Like, why? Why even stick around? What's the, you know, risk reward, right? And we went out there just basically based on, I guess, fear, to be honest. or, you know, mitigating risk, in a way. And uh, yeah, so I guess it just the house became this like savior figure for us, right? Because we ended up having really an amazing time spent together, you know, spent in somewhat of a state of quiet, although we were both ended up being extremely busy. Um, And it just, I guess, sort of manifested this, this energetic quality within the house of, an otherness based on what we would have been experiencing in new york and i think that created a lot of a lot of light and positivity around that house itself and um it sort of started to feel more like home um so yeah i guess it kind of happened naturally um i still feel you know profound affinity towards new york coming back was really interesting um for yeah both what of was those. that like first it was I'll tell you the first time we came back um, and this was, I guess, five or six months later. And I, by the way, I've been in, you know, I grew up in the tri-state area, you know, I call New York, the city I, I've been, New York has always been essentially in some way my home. So um, I've never lived anywhere else. And so we're flying back. And as we're landing, you know, we looked outside and just saw that like dreadful, you know, concrete, just wasteland. And it felt just a sense of dread. It was like a really intense sense of like, holy fuck, Like, what am I, la- where am I landing into? I don't even see a tree. I don't see, you know, life. Um, it was pretty dark. And, um, so yeah, it was a little bit, it was a little bit, um, it was a little bit jarring at first. And, um, but then when we got back, I mean, it's, you know, still nothing comparison to New York. It's like that that energy when you walk around the streets um, is still, you know, there's still nothing like it. And, um, you know, things had just gotten better. I live in Fort Greene. So there were a lot of these, you know, sort of like block parties happening and like a real sense of community that I don't think we really ever felt in New York to that level. Um, You know, I felt it at, at my place and sort of the community that we built there, but It's just, there's really an amazing sense of unity on the streets and positivity and it was, you know, it was summer and it just became really awesome. And I think very quickly we started having, you know, all these sort of nodes started just activating and different, you know, feelings that, you know, ultimately led us to fall in love in New York in the first place and kind of fell in love with it all over again. Um, So now, it's, you know, let's just say it's a conflicted relationship at this point.
0: Yeah. Well, I think um, you touched on something a minute ago, which is the sort of the need for achievement around New York. it's tied with that in some weird cosmic way. you know even the saying of like if you can make it there you can make it anywhere. that it that really embodies the spirit of New York. and it's in, what you just described, my wife and I had that same experience. We came back from <clears throat> um, we were in Maui and it was our first trip together. Since my seven-year-old at the time was born, we hadn't we hadn't gone together. We just had, you know, we we banged out three kids, and we were just in it. Uh, and I was traveling a lot for work, going coast to coast, and so I didn't want to travel on the weekends or you know anything in between because I was just on. I literally was flying forty hours a month. And when we came back from Maui, we were, we both looked at each other and we were like, "This looks like a post." era wasteland i don't i don't even like it was the same thing we both just were like this is a wasteland we have to leave and the weird thing was when that was in i think november of 2019 so we started planning and we just come from hawaii so that's how this all came together um but there that communal aspect is definitely i mean you're in such close proximity to people that it's it's easy and hard at the same time to build a community in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Because everyone's so busy doing different things that no one ever really stops, or very few people do, in my experience. Um, and I think a big part of that is because it's tied to achievement. And I think if you, I think if you, you're you're experiencing New York in like a different way now. Are you are you like rushing through the days like you were, or you feel? like there's more of a baseline kind of piece to your day.
1: Yeah. I mean, not having to travel New York is huge, right. I think, um, and I, you know, I've, I've been, I guess, fortunate, um, in the sense of the last couple of years, my, my business, um, and my home are within walking distance. So that was a huge like fundamental shift for me to be able to not take public transportation or just not be in a rush any day until like, Enjoy breakfast, and then at some point head over, you know, to my space and and see the same people. So I was sort of fortunate that I had a little bit of that community vibe in my day to day, which a lot of people, um, you know, including my partner, um, didn't necessarily have. Um, So I've been in that pretty good headspace in that sense for a while. I think once you start going back and forth and traveling all day, it's just that's rough because there's just such intensity. In that you know, getting in a cab and going to Manhattan—it sounds. I mean, it sounds kind of entitled, but it's 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 uh, you know, it's not the most pleasant experience. And I think it takes it's it's tolling on you. Um, so you know, even now, not really having less obligation to travel, I think you see it like in the park. Everyone's just hanging out. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, but you know, one of the things that I think I've realized is so interesting about New York compared to a lot of other cities. You know is sort of the layers, like the layers of narrative and the layers of culture. A lot of other cities are great, but, you know, there's not necessarily a lot to unpack. And if you're, you know, if you're someone who enjoys sort of diving in to cultural discourse and like understanding, you know, different nuances about, you know, urbanism or culture or art um, I find, you know, it's hard for other cities. I haven't seen other cities really quite compared to New York and those layers of, layers of context to really unravel and which whether it's consciously or simply on a day-to-day basis is very mentally stimulating. Um, and sometimes it's just walking down a street and you, it's not necessarily an intellectual activity. It's just, you know, even signage in New York, right? It's like, you know, in, in other cities, you know, you look at a sign that a restaurant puts up and it doesn't have much of a relationship to the building, right? And sure, that's plenty of that in New York, but also, and some of it, maybe I overthink and some of the people like me overthink, but you know, there's such a deep, complex story to the relationship that the, you know, the methodology of creating that sign has to the building that exists within. it. Just little things like that, that could constantly keep you stimulated, you know, whether you're actually you know, meeting someone new or just really walking down the street. Um, so that to me is what I think probably contributes to my love of New York from sort of a creative aspect. And, but to your point also, you know, it is, it is rewarding to, to look back and realize how challenging it is to, to build a life for yourself in New York. Um, and I think, you know, it might sound egotistical in some sense. And at some point, you know, sometimes there's a lot of that in New York. I mean, there's a ton of ego in New York and you and I can talk about that all day long from you know, our experiences in real estate, but I also don't think there's anything wrong with looking back and s- sort of, you know, feeling proud, you know, of the journey that it took to get to a point where, you know, I'm not talking about being the man, but being able to have freedom and be in a position where you're doing things on your own terms and you're being creative and you're being appreciated. I mean, that's very rewarding in New York. And, um, you know, I think I'm unapologetic about that.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's incredible. Cause I remember, I think you were contemplating leaving hospitality house and we had a we had a conversation we, we synced up at one point because you were like hey you're a young guy you did your own thing like what we, we had we had a conversation about it i remember and i wanted to know what kind of gave you that confidence because you seemed very much on the fence of like should you go out on your own you you clearly had like the creative energy and drive to do something and it shows like i haven't been able to see your space um but i i was able to check it out online and it dude it is beautiful it is like everything you would picture about a place to go and just experience the space is what you guys designed um it reminds me a lot of some of the early coffee houses in seattle before coffee houses were a thing um and it's just got that vibe where you just go sit so i was curious like what was it a process for you to kind of jump off on your own and this this wasn't the first thing you did right
1: it is actually was the first thing i did oh okay um yeah it's an interesting story um so i guess to provide context you know prior to public records um i was you know as you know i was um, essentially doing hospitality consulting for my entire career, my entire life. Um, I studied graphic design and branding, um, but never really practiced. ended up getting involved in consulting and doing sort of creative direction for these real estate and hospitality projects. Um, and that, I guess, sort of formulated some of my thinking around how culture can inject value into the built environment, um, which in a roundabout way kind of led me to, to where I am now, but. I was there for ten years, um, and you know, continuously was doing better and better, and you know, didn't achieve um, financial success on the level of you know some of my peers, but definitely relative to where I came from, was making more money than you know I had in my life, but was really feeling unfulfilled creatively and very stifled, and a lot of misalignment, um, you know, with myself and the individual that I you know, I was working for, um, but I was super comfortable and, you know, kept making more money, right. Same story that you hear a lot of people have. And, um, but I was sort of realizing that, you know, I think you probably can attest to this as well, maybe, um, the more money you make, you, you know, just feel it's never, it's never enough, right. Because it's just all relative and by the time you get to the next level, you actually feel, you know, less abundance, um, than ever. And, you know, may have something to do with growing up in certain financial circumstances. So I was becoming really acknowledging of that um, and trying to navigate it. Um, but, you know, I was fearful of making the move. Uh, my father, his sort of greatest um, challenge in his life is he was traumatized because he grew up poor and his father had lost his job. And he, had, he experienced this fear of essentially being, you know, being impoverished. And that, I think, subliminally stuck with me my whole life, and I inherited some of that. And um, so sometime around this period when I started sort of having the itch um, to finally make the jump, uh, my father passed away, actually, and suddenly, unexpectedly. And through a certain, let's just say, psychedelic experience, uh, during the aftermath, I had this really intense insane vision that in some way shape or form um, his fear his, his, his fear of of um, you know his pure fear of poverty and his essentially him being controlled by money mm-hmm. or fear of not having money in some way led to his uh, mysterious death. And for that, for me that was just the that was the moment. You know i i literally went to the office the next day and i said i'm out uh, i just you know i can't do this any longer and um so it really took a pretty big pretty big you know pretty big circumstance to give me that final kick um and it was really freeing. it was like you know um i've i've given this advice to a lot of of my friends or individuals that i've had the opportunity to give advice to that Sometimes it's actually taking that step. You, you feel more free than ever and, and less, uh, less fear than ever. And so sort of serendipitously, I mean, my goal at that point was to build my own company. Um, the thesis of, you know, I'm going to utilize my experience building hospitality concepts, uh, as a way to activate real estate, you know, whether it's acquiring it myself or, you know, on behalf of clients that are, you know, looking to acquire unique real estate and serendipitously at the time, um, a former client and now friend, uh, had found this building. Uh, that was the historic building on the Gowanus canal It was built as the ASPCA headquarters. It had been inhabited by a an amazing vintage guitar store and a church pipe organ restoration company. Um, and it was just, i absolutely fell in love with the building, um, and dove into it. And, you know, that was the first project. Um, And, you know, for whatever reason, it ended up becoming really everything um, in the sense that the company evolved into that project. So it was first project, last project for that company.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like um, what, what a gift to discover in, you know, experiencing the loss of your father that like you were able to get such clarity out of it. Because I know similar to you, grew up, you know, very humble beginnings. And that fear of not making it or not, at least not making it financially, I mean, it drove my life up until mm-hmm. 36, 37 years old. Like literally drove my life. And it created a lot of drive for me. But there's also a lot of negative externalities. And the fact that you were aware of that and you're able to kind of break that cycle. I have this theory that I've been just ideating on about um, like real intelligence and the fact that it passes on through generations and, and it's sort of your, your job as a kid and becoming an adult to break that those cycles of your prior generation. And so it's uh, it's pretty cool that you're, You were able to do that That, i mean that's like monumental in in life in my in my view
1: i i share your belief um, also about inherited um like actual biological inherited um, trauma and you know intelligence and all those other things as well um yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, it's a rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you went where you needed to go and uh, got what you needed out of that experience. You know, to kind of transcend that experience and create more freedom for yourself. Which is like, there. I agree with you. Once it, you never know what's going to trigger that for you, but that inner freedom of. Just being able to create life on your terms is real. And I, I don't think enough people are tapped into that today. Um, it, It's just a beautiful thing. You know, it's something that I see, Look, I see my kids struggling, especially my eight-year-old as he's coming up. He's got like his ego is there. And I, I just try to give them little signposts as as uh, Chris Williams, the producer of the show would say, signposts right mm. <laughs> to like find his path. I started leaving him things that I'm reading. I just, I'll write like a sentence and leave it on his desk. And then he just picks it up and reads it whenever. And, you know, that sparks an interesting conversation, but it, it, I, that's a monumental I that. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's in interesting, terms right? Because of- you
1: look back, sorry to cut you off, but I'm just curious about your experience. You know, you look back everyone has their own, you know, criticism of their own childhood, you know, at very, varying degrees, and, you know, it's easy to say if my parents had done things differently, I would have been in a different way, but truth of the matter is, like, I was such a fucking punk kid that you couldn't have told me, nothing you could have told me at a certain age would have opened my eyes to the truths, you know, to the truths of the world, so, you know, I don't know what the strategy is, you know, like I said, I'm, just kind of diving into fatherhood it sounds like you're taking an interesting strategic um approach was you know not force feeding them but you know sort of giving them the tools to to contemplate and, um yeah i'm just curious how you how you reconcile with you know you clearly have developed a very strong set of values and beliefs. um you know how do you go about ingraining that without you know overdoing it
0: yeah without indoctrination yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, well, it started for me by actually taking the time to think about what my values and beliefs were. And I did that extremely, I, I don't know, I, I did it late based on my standards at the time. And it would. It was similar to you. I got my real estate company to a point where it was I always knew it would get there because I knew I had that drive, but I was also way beyond where I thought it would be. And that ended up being this cliff into a black hole for me personally, right? Where, cause I got there and I'm like, oh shit, I'm not happy at all. I don't Mm -hmm. like my day to day. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like how it's doing. I don't like who I'm doing it with. You know, it's all of those things came up And I took some time, I did a program called ESP, which is like similar to landmark. I don't know if you've heard of that. Mm -hmm. But it's basically like a five day thing where you go unplug and kind of discover what your real values are. And mine was family because I grew up, you know, more or less without my father. And I realized that everything I had created in my life was kind of pulling me farther away from my children at the time. And so that was like a, a starting point for me to start consciously redesigning and rethinking what i was doing and it takes time dude it definitely takes time because you're letting go that ego component in real estate like i other than the movie business real estate has to be top in terms of ego you know it's it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it um and i had it i had a i had a real bad case of it and i was a very rambunctious kid uh, getting in a lot of trouble. I gave my mom hell and uh, she'll appreciate it because she listens to every episode. But I had, you know, I had some, I took years to peel back the layers and, and it, it I'm basically done with that in my experience, you know, cause I've reflected on everything for, for a couple of years now. um, And I just realized that's just one way to live. You don't have to live that way. You can consciously choose to make those decisions every moment of your life. And the less you can associate with whatever identity, like it's so people try to label everything, right? I tried to label everything. And the minute that I stopped labeling things and saying, what is this? You know, like what, what is this really? And just kind of connecting with the human experience on a, deeply conscious level that's that transforms your daily experience and so with my kids excuse me I'm just trying not to fuck them up right I'm I'm trying to give them you know my mom did the absolute best that she could and she is my mom's a total hippie um and always gave us the love that we needed there was a element of masculine energy and 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 example that was missing from my life and I had to go figure that out for myself and that was part of my journey right and I've I'm totally at peace with that and with my kids I'm just I want to give them the tool so they know I I don't know if they're going to process it right I mean their brain is developing but I just want them to be able to ask themselves the right questions at different points in their life because their struggle is going to be completely different than mine Mm. and it took me a while to even realize that that i was framing a lot of things for my son in the context of the struggles that i went through like i was very worried about him getting into drugs and like not connecting with the right people and having problems because of us you know his social environment and then it just hit me one morning i was like walking him to school and i realized he has a completely different experience he grew up going to the buildings that i was building those were the formative, very early years. He grew I would take him on business trips with him, just me and him. And we would go to the buildings and like go to a museum afterwards. And just like this, is. I had created a completely different experience. So that's a long way of saying that I'm just, I'm really focused on being ultra present with them and giving them what they need.
1: Yeah. It's a great realization that it's just a completely different context, a completely different experience.
0: Yeah. Huge. Huge. Yeah. It's well, and you'll see as you move into it, I I think one thing, and one thing that I'm really interested is um, providing a more of a resources for new fathers and that, and some, I mean, this conversation is a perfect example of it because, you know, my wife would try to get me to read books about being a parent. And I, I totally wasn't open to it. I was like, all right, I'll read the one chapter that's like for fathers in this one book. And I read it. I didn't really connect with it at the time. I probably, it, it was definitely me. It wasn't the book, you know? All right. Um, and I think there's, th- that is a challenge. It's like f- creating some resources that young fathers can connect with of like, hey, what are gonna be my value systems around this? And like, what, what philosophy am I gonna adopt as a father?
1: That's interesting. I'm curious, um, you're talking about sort of navigating New York and real estate in the professional world, which is essentially, I mean, just this sea of, sea, sea of egoism, right? And one of the things I've always contemplated and was contemplating way, you know, much more so when I was still in that world was, can you, you know, I, I, I feel that a lot of people's stress is based on inauthenticity. Um, I've found that I'm the most stressed and I'm the most anxious when I have to take a phone call with. Sometimes it's like my own lawyer, but and it, I feel stressed when I have to sort of put on a front in some way, right? And and I realize reflecting that it's it's again it's not stress about that call. It's not that person that's stressing me out. It's the fact that it's very stressful to, to act in a way that's not authentic to yourself. Right. So, you know, I've, I've advised people when they have anxiety surrounding navigating these professional situations to just, to really try to at all times sink into that authenticity. Right. Cause I found a lot of confidence and just the fluidity of my days, you know, substantially um, more positive when I can sort of maintain that mindset. But the question becomes, especially as you're younger in your career, right. If you're coming up in the game or whatever, can you navigate high-level professional world in new york or otherwise um you know while maintaining that sort of level of authenticity like i was just reflecting earlier about because i don't think a lot about um you know my work back in the day And you know a lot of times i was doing business with really good people and i would try to do business with really good people that was really important to me sometimes i, I remember this one time i walked into this it was some like fund i i, I don't even remember the name and they had just bought a hotel. I was introduced to them. I don't know, whatever, whatever it was. I walked in this guy's office and he was wearing this like ridiculous three piece suit. And he just knew immediately that this guy was like, this isn't going to work. And he looked at me like, you know, I had three heads because I was wearing sneakers or whatever it was. And it was the most awkward meeting. It was just, there was no human connection there. And for me, I was in that state where he probably sat down. I tried to break the ice, shoot the shit, you know. And sort of have you know have this immediate human connection, which I think is what provides joy both in my professional life and my just day to day, like those you know momentary or lasting human connections, and it was just not happening and I walked out that, I walked out of there being like, "Wow, like, who the fuck is that guy? who is that human being who can literally sit across a table from somebody else who you know I had achieved some level of professional success from that commission at that time I was not some and even if I, if, even if I wasn't nobody whatever, and it's just like. And I shook it off because, you know, that's what I was doing at the time. But I'm just curious if you feel like, you know, for some of our younger predecessors, if, you know, how to navigate that, if you can maintain that level of authenticity and still get ahead based on your journey.
0: Yeah. I mean, dude, that's a, that's a great question. I think, I don't know if you can achieve that level of success because like you, I, I, focused on building the bridge and being inauthentic to who I was. And, and that was hard because I grew up in such different circumstances than the people that I was around on a daily basis in, in the game of finance and real estate, you know? And that was a lot of internal struggle for me to even just reconcile with that on a daily basis it was like okay i'm a high school drop i was labeling myself you know i'm i used to sell drugs i'm a high school dropout i did you know this i went to juvenile detention and i'm looking around and i don't see any of that and so i i think it was i think you and i kind of came up at the outer edge of a different time where being yourself was still there was still this like 1960s, 70s, 80s culture of you have to put up a wall. As a man, you have to put up a wall and you go in, business is the battlefield. You're a warrior in business and you go do whatever it takes to be successful in that feat. The world seems like it's shifted. And I don't, maybe it's because I shifted where I, I just don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> right? Like, and it's not like I have, some crazy amount of money that allows me to not give a fuck. I just choose. I'm not judging myself in that situation anymore. So, and I'm not judging the other person. And so I think you, if you can start going into life in that, I mean, you have to figure out how to play the game, whatever game it is for you. I think the people that end up achieving success really early are the people that stay true to themselves, you know? Mm. And I, that would be my advice is like, if you're, if you feel like you're faking something to become something you are. Yeah. Maybe you're on the wrong path, right? Yeah. Like really take the time to think about what you want to do. I mean, I can't, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some people that come out of college and they're like, I want to be an accountant having never done that job. I'm sure that there's people that really enjoy that. I hope, I hope my accountants do. (laughs) but there's also people who do it as a matter of practicality. And I'm just using this as an example. I'm not picking on accountants because the world needs them. Um, There's a matter, there's people that do it just because they're trying to make ends meet. And they see that as the most efficient and viable path for themselves, but it may not be. And I think the more you open up to your own creativity, however you decide to apply that, uh, which I think you're, you're probably an expert on at this point is yeah, the, the more you're going to enjoy your life, you know? Um, and I read something a couple years ago, I think it was um, this guy, Mark Devine. He, he, he wrote a book called Unbeatable Mind. He's like, an, he's a Navy SEAL who wrote a really great book about meditation and kind of different ways that you can look at life. And one of the things early on in the book was Write your own obituary, like if you have the stomach for it. And I did it really early one morning before everybody in my house woke up. And man, that was a powerful experience because it, I, since that day, everything that I'm doing in my day, if I say if I had one week to live, would I spend my, my energy doing this? I stopped thinking about time, right? Think about energy. And if the answer is no, then I've just... I'll leverage somebody else. I'll not do it. I'll just get rid of it, you know, what, whatever I can come up with.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, right? As you mentioned, if the model of an accountant, right. And, and a lot of people would probably respond to, you know, what we're talking about with, you know, saying that, uh, they don't have the luxury of doing that. And I don't know what the answer is. I I'm, I'm with you on that. Right. I think everyone needs to prioritize. Um, prioritize what makes them happy and what you know what they find fulfilling. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. It's a tough question, but um, you know, I feel for the fact that we've created these sort of you know structural mechanisms with society that so many are, are stuck in this in this loop You know.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I think it's also a choice. <clears throat> That's one. The way I would look at it is that that is one path of many that You can choose, and I would encourage people, especially right now. I'm reading um, Barbarian Days A Surfer's Life, William Finnegan. I don't know if you've ever read that book. Man, it, it's a memoir of his experience growing up between California and Hawaii, <clears throat> and being he became a surfer very young around 10, 11. Um, and I'm, I'm in the middle of the book right now, and he's Seventeen, eighteen, and he's completely unplugged. He just brought a bunch of books to Maui. Was working in a bookstore so that he could surf and try to surf as much as possible. And I think that's—I think more people should do something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, be, before it you go like, work, sounds like a dream. Right. Well, you, but he wasn't—he didn't have any money, and that's okay. You know well, that's what, what most I mean?
1: so most Europeans see, right? I mean, they totally have it right. I mean, the American mindset of I have a sister who's. Like, I experienced it you know a year or two ago this this collective mindset within their generation at least where where she grew up at you know before you've been out of college you're thinking about what job you're going to have you know what that status is within your circles i mean i i, I she doesn't listen to anything i that. she listens to something i tell her but my biggest regret is not having just done the you know the thing you know whether it's israelis or australians or whoever that just are off and they're you know having that year or two I think that should be, you know, status quo in society and so important. Because you don't know who yeah. you are at that age, you know, and you can't really know who you are at that age. So why even try to define it? You know, your, your goal should be exploration. And yeah, sure, not everyone has the means, but, you know, you look, at, you look at people from those countries and they're around bartending and doing whatever. Um, anyway, I have an interesting question for you that just kind of popped in my head as we were talking through it. Despite the fact that you came from nothing, do you ever feel sense of entitlement when you're thinking about these things? we talking about these things.
0: In a sense of entitlement to what?
1: So I just you know as we were kind of talking through this, and you know, we were touching on this idea of everyone, or you know, the concept of you know um, pursuing you know your creative expression, creative freedom, whatever. And I personally, and I think this happens occasionally, like felt this strange sense of entitlement like oh like you know Shane you have it good but you know looking back nothing was given to me i created you know i created i created it right and i was curious if if you know now understanding that we sort of came from somewhat similar strangely similar backgrounds if you ever feel based on the way that you're socialized and they, they, the way that you're brought up um uh, i wouldn't say a sense of guilt but almost a sense of entitlement Uh, Based on, you know, the luxuries and the freedoms that you have, despite the fact that you made it all happen?
0: That's a great question and a very important one for the time that we're in. And I think I feel extremely fortunate to be American and not in a tribal way, like I got to have free speech and I need to have guns and this America, not not in that way at all in the context of like, regardless of you, if you can see it or not, if you are in this country, you are part of the lucky sperm club today, right now yeah. in this moment. And I I don't feel this, the sense of entitlement. Like I have to have this. Um, I I don't really care. It, We never had money was a very scarce resource when I was a kid, extremely, very scarce at times and then mildly scarce at other times. But there was never a point where it was just there. My mom never got to that point. Um, And it was a lot of it was by choice. She made the conscious decision to spend time with us and like be able to shuttle me to sports things and, you know, all, all of those things. I think and I and I'm also a believer. I just have to note that I'm also a believer that like I recognize that I did a lot of this out of my own will. There were also so many people. There's so many people that it helped me whether it was a word or a sentence of encouragement at a time that I needed it. And there was like weird strange things. Like when I when I first moved to New York, I had a duffel bag and I can't, I didn't know anybody. I actually knew one person, Brenna Alderman. She lived in Spanish Harlem and I hadn't talked to her in a really long time. It was, she grew up in the town that I grew up in. She was my one point of contact, but we kind of had lost touch. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Olympia, Washington, outside of Seattle, which is like very progressive, packed Northwest town. It's like old, like what Williamsburg was five years ago my town was in the 1980s (laughs) it was it just a actually a, a beautiful place to grow up and when i got to new york i was sitting on the curb waiting for the guy who i'd rented this tiny tiny room from in spanish harlem and i just started walking around and i ended up meeting these jamaican guys that were barbecuing on the street and playing uh dominoes i was 23, 24. And I just started talking to him and asked him if I could have a beer. And I ended up hanging out with them all night, literally playing dominoes and like talking to these guys all night. And even that experience, because I felt so uncomfortable being in New York and being in Harlem by myself, these guys were just so warm. Like I will never forget that experience because they were so warm. They're so open. They were so fun to hang out with. And I never saw them again. But that kind of gave me this sense of like, okay, there's real people here in New York. And, you know, you could go on forever about those experiences in life. And I just think um I mean I fucking work for it, whatever I'm doing, whether it's creative or physical or whatever, every single day. I put I put myself in scenarios where I will be tested. I'm gonna push the limits. I was talking to my mom the other day. And she was like, Yeah, you always were like that. You always pushed the limits no matter what it was. And out here, I've created a very peaceful existence out here in Hawaii. And there, I still need that element of pressure. And so when I train, I'm training for, well, I'm putting myself in the hardest scenario. I've been running outside in full sweats, midday, hood up, black sweats, black sweatshirt, 90, 95 degrees. And I'm running 10 miles. And the other day I was like, why the fuck am I doing this? This is so uncomfortable. And it, I just realized that like in terms of the eternal scale, I need some pressure in my life and I've created a lot of peace for it. And so I've, I counterbalance that in my physical training. So do I don't know that if that even from? answers. What, what's that?
1: Where do you think that comes from the need to do it?
0: It I just enjoy it, man. I enjoy it. I enjoy training mixed martial arts. I enjoy jujitsu. Getting smashed the same as smashing someone. Like I enjoy. I enjoy it. It's. I enjoy the pressure of life. You know, I enjoy putting myself in those scenarios where there's only you have to thread the needle to come out of that relatively unscathed, right? And I, I don't know. I I think, I think that's just part of the human, like everybody has a different experience and everybody has different needs. I have been told by a lot of other people and I'm starting to recognize it more and more that I have a very high need for uncertainty. So this, that's probably part of it is like pushing it. You know, I'm just pushing that need for uncertainty to the max.
1: Yeah. it's, It's interesting. I wonder, you know, how the trajectory of your life would have been different if instead of meeting those Jamaican guys and hanging out, you had been like, I don't know, mugged or just, you know, nothing happened. And I wonder if that instilled some sense of optimism or like idealism or beauty in you that in some way catalyzed or inspired like the next, you know, the, the ongoing trajectory of your experience.
0: Yeah, I think we attract what we allow to exist in ourselves you know? And I was, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and he was, I won't say who it is because he was, it was a kind of an intimate conversation about some lady problems. (laughs) And I was like, look, man, on the, you know, the eternity sign, right? The eternal scale of life, you're, you are the center. Life and your feelings and emotions flow around from side. They go to the outer edge and they come back, they go to this and you come back. And I've, I've really learned to just exist at the center at all times, no matter what is happening. I used to ride the scale out, you know, I used to go wild with my emotions and feelings and all of those things. And while that is fun and interesting at times, it's also very unsettling as a human. And I think being at the center allows you to experience those things without passing judgment on them and just recognizing the existence of those things in the human experience, mm. if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's pretty, I mean, I've, it's something that's been on my mind recently um, and it happens, it comes up time and time again. And I, I always go back, you know, sort of into, you know, you forget it easily, but I mean, time and time again, I've found that surrendering is the most effective way to take a big step forward, and like so I'm raising money right now for a new project, and like, I hate raising money. It's like the thing I hate the most in the world, probably, and it probably has something to do with my childhood and that whole narrative that i you know talked about earlier, but and you know, I've realized that strangely, when I stop worrying and stop trying and just like you know ground myself and focus on, you know, the practices that instill positivity in my life. It just, I gravitate, things just start coming at me Um, and it's amazing. And it's so easy to forget about it because, you know, it seems sort of counterintuitive, you know, in a way, but um, I do believe, and I have experienced some of the the benefits from, um, you know, taking that approach, Um, which also goes back to this idea of just, you know, remaining authentic. Um, Totally. But, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's another tough thing for people to reconcile, right? Um, but I do believe that um, in a really amazing way, um, not trying so hard is is often the way that, you know, you instill those, those benefits.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's not about not doing the best that you can. It's kind of recognizing that you're doing the best that you can right now, mm. you know? And, and, and. I think it goes back to judgment too. You have to just stop judging yourself, which is really, for me, it was very hard to do. It it took a long time for me to figure out that equation.
1: I think for a lot of-
0: so, What's that? No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you, have you done any reading about kind of surrendering, being at peace, or how did that come about? You've always had this element of this cool, calm, collected- Persona since I've met you, and it, it's really nice to see that you're you've settled into that authenticity. Because I can, I, I mean, I could feel it when we caught up a few weeks ago, um, and I just think it's uh, it's an amazing thing to experience that. I was wondering if did you have any guides along that way, whether it was books or people in your life.
1: There is actually a phenomenal book that I would highly recommend to anyone interested, called The Surrender Experiment. Um, have you read it?
0: yeah yeah
1: Yeah. i mean it's a phenomenal book um it's kind of over the top in the sense that this guy has this insane journey where he just literally starts meditating all day and like crazy shit starts coming at him so it's a little bit extreme but i think it goes back you know the big thing for me the big takeaway from that book is i think we may have touched on this earlier just the idea of expectations right so if we create these these narratives within our life that you know we we aspire to sort of continue on this journey along this very self-set and defined trajectory um and the truth is we can't control anything we cannot control a single thing right yet we try to control everything we try to essentially define and and, um, you know dictate our own lives so i think the moment that you stop trying to dictate and the moment that you realize that you can't control anything you just relinquish any expectations of any outcomes so you're not leaving yourself susceptible to disappointment. I think it ties back to you know Hindu philosophy in the sense that um, you know you should sort of experience the same equilibrium whether it's pleasure or pain. Um, there's really no difference between them. Right. Um, something I think about as well often and is more prevalent now than ever is just not really believing in good or bad. You know it just is, and that was something that really helped me navigate when my father passed away. When I mean, things things happen that are you know unthinkably tragic or sad it's i think the only way to reconcile it is just you know remembering the truth that at least what i feel is the truth that there is no such thing as polarity of good and bad it just it just is um, yeah and i find a lot of peace in, in in sort of trying to instill that mindset in my day-to-day
0: did you in that process that, that's an incredible book and i don't know if you've read the untethered soul which is more of a it's it, it, uh, the surrender experiment is his, Michael Singer's story. It's kind of his memoir. I, have you read his other book, The Untethered Soul? Oh, no. I would recommend. I would. You would really enjoy that. I think you would really enjoy that. Um, what I wanted to ask was, in that process of not labeling things good or bad, have you have you experienced any like detachment at times? from life or a situation or, I don't know, your business or any of those things?
1: I think people, you know, first of all, I'd I'd say that, um, you know, we're all, it's challenging to live that in every second of the day, right? So I'm certainly not, I certainly haven't achieved a level where I'm maintaining that, you know, in my entire life. But um, definitely some people that are close to me you know, may have commented at certain times that, you know, I lack emotion, which I don't think is actually the case. Maybe it's a misinterpretation or a confusion, you know, maybe based on my, just my behavior and my approach to things. Um, but I think that maybe has caused a little bit of a conflict, just, you know, being perceived as not being so engaged when in actuality there's a lot of emotions. It's just, um, You know, it's just a different perspective to it and approach to it. Um, But no, I definitely feel very deeply for a lot of things in my life. So I think there is, I think the two can coexist. I don't think, um, you know, being, surrendering is not, I don't think it's being numb. I think it's just, um, it's letting go of expectation.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's very well said. It's, I I was going to use the word outcome, but it's the same thing, right? where you're just kind of enjoying the process, right? The experience of it. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's hard to, it's hard, you know, to use a business term. It's hard when there's other stakeholders, <laughs> right? Cause you know, you could easily have the people around you, your business, maybe this is kind of what you're referring to your business partners, your life partner being like, what do you mean? You know, you're just, you're just surrendering it, you know, figure it out. Right. And, it's hard sometimes to convey that you are figuring it out. It's just your own way of navigating, um, you know, but yeah, it's interesting to the dichotomy between being highly focused and highly motivated, and then also attempting to not place so much meaning on the outcome of that, um, right. not an easy thing to navigate, but, um, when I am able to operate within that mindset, i i I definitely feel it's, uh, um, you know, fulfilling.
0: Yeah. Well, it's clear I I wanted to switch gears kind of into the business realm a little bit. Um, It's clear when I see what you've created that you you tapped into like the highest level of your creativity, both from a design standpoint, but also just from an idea where I, I talked to Laura Seguess from CBRE in San Francisco last week, who wasn't really in the same business with you, but kind of is. You know, she's at a much bigger shop. And I think people's general view is like, oh, retail's dead. And then you created this experience that's open, I don't know, 18, 20 hours a day that has become this thing in Brooklyn. And I'm just curious how that idea came together.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting there's a lot of a lot of things to unpack here, both from a business and I think like a psychological standpoint, Um, how it came together, man. I mean, I have a really, I have an amazing partner um, who is an insanely passionate individual. And I think our relationship, which was sort of newly forming at the time um, was really um, a big part of what sort of birthed this, um, you know, I think pretty unique concept or a concept's not really the right word, but, you know, I think the biggest, I think that, you know, we, we blindly dove into the project, right? Because we fell in love with the building. He's a musician. Um, we bonded over music and, you know, when this sort of opportunity in the building presented itself, uh, it just seemed like the perfect opportunity to do something that was just rare. It seemed like a rare opportunity. And I kind of pushed away a lot of my pragmatism and just dove into it. Cause it it just felt like one of those things. I'm sure you've had similar experiences where you just got to like, we'll figure it out, you know, there's no, the answer is yes. And we'll figure it out. And, you know, we bootstrapped the project. We didn't raise nearly enough money and, you know, we were working against really all the elements. It was an incredibly challenging building, right? It was our first real construction project. And it was an old animal shelter that had never, it was a, an insane pr- undertaking for, for people that were in our, you know, in our positions. And I actually think through the challenges and the restrictions and the lack of abundance and the lack of resources is really what inspired a lot of the authenticity and the, um, sort of human touch that, you know, ultimately injected the soul into the business that is, I think has made it resonate so deeply with a lot of people. So in a way, I think based on those two years, which were just, you know, really tough, um, I think the outcome of that was was actually really special. And I went through sort of my own, um, you know, journey along that time. I mentioned I, you know, I grew up um, studying design and, and doing design work, but I hadn't really practiced pen to paper. You know, I was doing a lot of creative strategy, but I wasn't really doing pen to paper. And, you know, at first I hired a you know, branding firm and just nothing felt right. You know what I mean? So I ended up doing it myself and kind of diving back in and, you know, doing the whole thing myself. And, you know, first we tried to hire a, you know, a music director and my, didn't work out, my partner dove in and do it himself. And so very naturally it became this, and I was doing these things because they were smart business decisions, right? The smart business decision, if I was a consultant was you're the owner, you're doing enough, you're doing everything hire someone, outsource, hire the right people, put it all together, which is what I've been doing my whole career, right? Hiring the right people, overseeing them, strategy, process, whatever. And, you know, we just, I think we were so deeply motivated to connect this project that nothing felt authentic. And we ended up taking the reins and doing everything ourselves from the interiors to overseeing the construction to the actual, you know, day-to-day music strategy and direction and vision and, and it was, you know, it almost killed us it, it was the, the most challenging two years of both of our lives and caused a lot of challenges within, you know, some of my personal relationships and, you know, definitely took some years off our lives, but I now believe more so in this sort of real DIY approach. Like it was almost this process that I had to go through to strip back all these notions that I had about how business is done. In the conventional way in the framework of new york real estate in this sort of pragmatic methodology and, and really do crazy shit, you know and some of it didn't make sense the hours of operation did not make sense you know no way does it make sense
0: it still doesn't yeah. make sense
1: There's i was wondering if that
0: was designed out of necessity of the pro forma or out of creative use of that space
1: i mean we just we wanted it to be a community space you know and the daytime daytime you know to not does not make money but you know the fact that people can just walk in there and your friends walk in there and you see the same people and it's alive at at all times it's it's just crucial yeah i think with hospitality and with a lot of businesses like that it's it's kind of binary right it's either it works or it doesn't work or maybe it works and it doesn't work and it really and it's a thing it's a special thing you know and so sometimes you have to you know i think sometimes you have to not think with such a you know, fiscally, fiscal mindset and do things for the culture. And, um, I think both of us were at these really sort of pivotal times in our lives. And, um, we just went for it and we figured it out, you know, and it was, and, uh, we opened without any money, which was crazy, you know, again, just we'll figure it out, like just kicking it down the cord and trying to make the right decisions. And I guess surrendering to it, right. With faith and confidence that you know, what we put into it, we'll get out of it in some way. And um, another big thing I learned, you know, both through diving back into design and just through the entire approach to business is, I think creativity is, is really about sort of inputs and outputs, right? When you try to figure out the answer to the end of the, the problem from the get-go, that's not true creative work, right? Because the new idea exists in the process and the experimentation. And um, I think that's sort of, uh, Converse to the approach of a consulting company or a real estate company, where right? you try to get it down to a science, create concepts, create business plans that are cut and paste. And that's the most likely for them to succeed. But I think the bar is set low at that level of success. So, you know, throughout the entire process, it was about what sort of inputs can we throw into this and, and see what sort of outputs emerge. And I'd like to think that that's why it ended up equating to something that was you know, truly unique and special. And again, that sort of resonated with, with a lot of people. Um, so there's was, was, an, you know, really an insane process and, um, phenomenal learning experience and, you know, a lot of lessons learned.
0: Yeah. What, in terms of challenges, what, what were some of the things that you went through? If you, if you don't mind sharing.
1: From like a pr- practical standpoint or more of a psychological standpoint?
0: Well, more the psychological, cause everybody gives like business advice, right? But at the end of the day, like you were saying about good and bad. There's no such thing as business and personal life. It's just life. It's just experience. And the commercial component of what you're doing is no different than the creative creative exploration that you're kind of pursuing.
1: I think the biggest, I mean, the biggest challenge that I'm always sort of thinking about is, is really the disconnect between... Um, the disconnect between culture and capital, um, and, you know, again, from really early on in my career, it's, I've, I've, my thought process has always been framed around this idea of, you know, culture, creating value, right. Like quantifiable value. Um, but there's still, I mean, based on just the general economic parameters, um, it's very challenging to align, um. In that in that sense right because you know we a lot of the things that we want to do are not don't drive revenue right but they also but they drive sort of the intangible value that makes the place work and makes the place special and so how do you align with your you know but from an investor standpoint right i mean are they really receiving those benefits right maybe right from a building standpoint are they really aligning in those benefits? You know, probably not. So I think the most challenging thing for us is waking up every morning and, you know, doing the things that you want to do to, you know, create, you know, positive messaging, to inspire people, to support artists, to build community, um, all the while reconciling that there's, you know, capital to pay back and and rent to pay. um, I mean, it seems like an obvious thing, but it's something that I always have tried to wrap my head around to find sort of different mechanics uh, that could, you know, align align stakeholders and really, you know, allocate benefits to those that are providing intangible value. Does that make sense?
0: It totally makes sense. I I think it's, um, I, I, I think you touched on something that's really important for people to start exploring today, which is culture and capital. And capital is only capital's been kind of driving especially in the world that we come from capital drives the bus right and i think that's why there's so many places that would never or could never become what you've created because there's this because there is authenticity and this passion for respecting culture and respecting the fact that you don't need to know what may come out of this you're focused on creating the environment that allows people to open up and you can't boil that down to a pro forma in every case you know it's not a stock it's it's totally different than that and i think the world needs more, if cities are going to continue to exist the world needs way more of that right because even New York, I mean, Manhattan, when you walk through Manhattan, to me, it feels completely soulless today. It feels like it's been gutted because everything, it's like CVS, Chase, Wells Fargo, CVS, Dwayne Reed, whatever, you know, it it it's just been stripped of a lot of that culture. And um, yeah, that, I mean, it, that makes a lot of sense to me.
1: I think it also has to do with intention. You know, when you walk around New York, Manhattan, you know, even when you do see, and listen, there are still some phenomenal places in Manhattan that have a lot of soul. And, you know, I find, um, you know, deep value and new places that open up, you know, similarly, but, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll see a place and you just know that it's just like venture backed or like, some guys trying to capitalize on a trend, you know, or like they're thinking scale, like the next X, the next Y, the next Z. And I think what a lot of people from the consumer standpoint gravitate to is just intention. And, you know, at some point in New York, it was, you know, it was evident, right. You went to the places where there was the people behind it created this sort of energy and environment that you wanted to attach to it. I think you see a less and less now. Um, and obviously with, this, with everything that's happening right now, independent restaurants closing, you know, at rapid scale, it's, it's very scary. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? We, we would love to figure out ways to explore these value dynamics and make them more sustainable. Um, we haven't quite cracked it yet. You know, I do think one of the things I found really interesting when we first opened up public records was, you know, I, you know, my background is not music. I'm a huge music head, you know, I have pretty good knowledge of music, um, but not music industry background, right? My partner more so. And so there were all these artists that I was, you know, I listened to, I was fans of, I sort of placed on a, a, a creative and cultural pedestal and they started sort of, folding into the, the business, right? They started, they were residents, they played live, they came and hung out. And it was just mystif- demystifying all these individuals for me. And I saw how many of them were like, you know, just getting by, like, not actually really doing so well, like working second jobs. Like, And I just realized more and more so how much we've devalued art as society. But how much value and in, like quantifiable value these, 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 these individuals had. Right. So, you know, early on, you know, it was a very simple equation. It's like, well, we can, you know, we can tap X artists for Y price, which is reasonably affordable relative to what I think is their value and influence to build a scene, build a community, you know, build some sort of experience, incentivize them in the process. And that became very interesting to me this idea of if, you, if, you're, if you're methodical and strategic about it, how you can leverage the value of artists in a more systematic way to place so that there is more value placed on them. They you know, receive those financial benefits, but you know, the receiver of value being the business also um, you know, sees, sees value in the process. And that's something that we've always tried to explore. How do we create these more sustainable relationships and programs? where, you know, it enables us to succeed as a business um, while supporting artists, but in a, you know, not in a charitable way, in a, in a, in a you know, in a capitalist way. And really, um, and so in the future projects that we're working on right now, um, outside of the physical space, I mean, those are the type of things that we want to explore in a more scalable template. And I would like to see more of that conversation
0: happening. Um, yeah, just that, really that's a beautiful thing. Old. Yeah, well, I think you're you're on the early edge of changing the winner takes all mentality, right? And and converting commercial elements into they're still capitalist, but it's everybody has you have to create scenarios where everyone wins. Otherwise it does, it's not sustainable for long mm. periods of time. Um, and so you mentioned future projects. How have you guys thought about the uniqueness of what you've created in Brooklyn versus scale and probably some element making it big enough for you to achieve some of the financial outcomes that, that you want or need in your life?
1: Well, you know, COVID definitely put a wrench into a lot of our, a lot of our plans. Um, but you know, we haven't lost really any energy. And I think if anything, if, found um, our, feel more energized now than ever um, we feel like we respond really well to challenges and kind of like we both talked about in different contexts you know finding sort of um, you know like str- like uh, succeeding in those harsh conditions right or finding inspiration and motivation within those harsh conditions so maybe that's maybe you know maybe we feel some of that too um, I mean right now you know on, on premise, our goal is to really not only maintain the level of creativity and innovation that we've, that we've embodied, but really take it to the next level given the you know, reactive environment to the circumstances. Um, so we're planning actually some expansion within the physical space, which is probably quite um, counterintuitive to what, you know, what a lot of people are doing right now. And certainly isn't easy to find the resources to make that happen, but we're committed to doing so. Um, and, you know, the big thing that we're working on now, um, is, uh, building a tech product, which, you know, is not, uh, it would be sort of a brand extension to public records, um, but will be a departure not a departure, but a, a new, new entity, new brand, um, but with similar sort of, uh, um, ideals and philosophy as, as what we've embodied in the physical space, um, sort of playing off this idea of leveraging the cultural value of artists to create a benefit to society while also, you know, creating pathways for artists to uh, create more income and sustainable uh, lifestyle.
0: Okay. And is that going to be just in music or all forms of art?
1: It's going to start in music and the hope is that it can transcend to all mediums and art forms.
0: That's awesome. That's pretty exciting. I mean, it's, I think it takes a lot to, stomach a COVID like scenario as a physical business, right? As a physical location and look through that to expansion and change and more innovation. That's uh that's pretty incredible.
1: I think, yeah. I mean, for me personally, I find happiness in building things, whether it's physical or non-physical I'm not an operator operations is not but well, you know, fulfills me. So, um, and I think, you know, creativity and creation is about problem solving, right? Anyone who's creating for the sake of creating, um, you know, I think those aren't really the big ideas. It's about, so that's solving problems. So COVID being a circumstances, or let's call it a condition, I think was actually very creatively stimulating. So how can I respond to this and build something that, um, you know, is reactive response to, and, um, and maybe part of it subliminally is survival instincts, right? Right. Whether it's, uh, you know, I never, I don't think I ever feared consciously that it was all over, but, you know, maybe subconsciously just the way that I operate the, you know, the gears inside me said, you know, it's time to think wider, time to think differently. And, um, you know, COVID sort of forced a lot of businesses, physical businesses, to dive more into the digital space, um, which is something that I've always, um, been sort of detached from, you know. We're sort of analog, analog brand, analog guys to some extent. Um, but as I, you know, I read an amazing book by the way, which um, it seems like you're a pretty avid reader called uh, "Move Fast and Break Things,"
0: mm. uh,
1: which is uh, recommended to a good friend, re- recommended to me by a good friend at a perfect time. Um, talk about serendipity! If you know if what we're building now makes it big, that'll be, I think, a big moment for me to, to look back on. But it essentially outlines the entire history of music on the internet, um, and goes further back and just sort of outlines the emergence of the internet in general, which was not really a history that was so apparent to me, and it really recontextualized technology to me as a whole, um, because you know early internet was really founded on more of a altruistic egalitarian philosophy than we think about it today. Now with whole Earth catalog and it was really sort of a countercultural movement with the idea of, you know, I'm sure anyone who's researched Steve jobs is probably more intimately familiar with the story than I was, but, um, just technology as a means to create community, to connect and, and, you know, create more widespread, you know, positive, positive change. So that really changed my whole shit up. Um, just thinking about technology as this thing that was very techie and took us away from each other and whatever that whole, whole story was to wait, what is the potential of this thing if I do it in my own way? If I take, you know, the things that we feel are important our philosophies, our ideologies and ingrain them to take a unique approach to technology, you know, what would that, what would that output be? Um, So I got really excited by the opportunity that building something like that presents and we dove into it and, you know, have been going through a similarly painstaking process as the build of the space, not as painstaking, but definitely some similar, you know, challenges and feeling that same sense of excitement and, um, you know, about to embark on a new journey. So we're excited and uh, we're excited for it all to connect together and, um, you know, see where we land on the other side.
0: Yeah. Is that it? So it's a fully digital platform that you guys are working on. It's
1: a fully digital platform.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. Um, can, can you share more about it or is it, it needs to like come out and needs to launch?
1: I'm trying to think if I can articulate in a quick elevator pitch. <laughs> we're basically, we're building a new framework for creatives to publish, storytell, and c- communicate around, um, with a more egalitarian community minded, uh, foundation. So basically. We believe that within music and in really in the art itself right now we've lost a lot of the storytelling elements um, you know i think a lot of that sort of ended with the blog the blog era um, sort of deep storytelling around around music and art and creation and process and intention um so what we want to create is a new frame a new social framework that allows artists and creatives to not only illustrate the depth of their creative process um, and showcase their work as well as the work of others, but also instill this new culture of mutual championship amongst each other as a replacement for the status quo gatekeeper mentality of institutions that are currently dominating technology platforms.
0: That makes a lot of sense. It, I uh, uh, Victor Reyes is a good friend of mine and um, he, he's a, He's an artist based out of San Francisco, originally a street artist. He was on the show. Uh, yeah, I was that early. one. Okay. Amazing dude. You should definitely if if you're interested in connecting with him because he's been he's been in the game for a while and I think what you're trying to create would resonate with him uh in a very meaningful way. Whenever yeah, you're just- ready. Yeah. He he's also just a great great human being.
1: Yeah, it was a but, funny, um, I enjoyed your conversation with
0: this. Yeah, he, he's, uh, we got a chance to work together and it's funny how like the universe provide. you know, in most of those scenarios, I remember my team was negotiating and they were like, Victor, we can't sign Victor. It's like impossible. He's like, he put us in touch with his lawyer and I was like, look, let me, can I just meet the guy? <laughs> can I just like have a coffee with him and we connected and just it was one of those people where you instantly connect with, you know? Uh, and from that, I've gotten to know him pretty well and he's, he's a great dude. He's the real deal. He's a great dude. Uh, and I think, I actually think he would be interested in helping provide any input or help or whatever, just based on his own experience. Yeah, I would love to. Um, I'll connect you guys like a little later today, but I want So one thing I wanted to ask you about, as well before we wrap up is the public television component of public records and what what spawned that and what's the idea behind it uh because it's wildly different than anything else that i've seen in a long time Hmm.
1: yeah so so public records closed in march you know march 15th or whatever and um I mean, my immediate first reaction was let's build a, you know, like an anarchist television station, Like (laughs) this is, this is what we're going to do. You know, there's a fucking pandemic. We have this crazy space with a bunch of characters, like my team, who are all amazing in their own way. Um, We have this, we have this crew, we have this space and we have this following and we're all shut down. Like let's create a fucking anarchist television channel. You know what I mean? I was always really interested in this amazing show from the 90s um, called TV Party that um, Glenn O'Brien was the host of. And it was like during the no wave scene in New York, Lower East Side um, in the 80s. And it was just super random. There was no script. I don't, you know, like no wave culture in music. Like if I was a guitarist and you were a drummer and we made a band together, we'd like switch instruments. Like that was just a very... Like intellectual, but also random, experimental, irreverent movement, and so this show was just like ad lib. Different people would come through; they'd be drunk, they'd be high, and like every awesome band from the era played there. It was just super random and shitty produced, but the like random chance in the production became this whole stylistic vocabulary. You know what I mean? It was this amazing thing, amazing music, just coolest vibe, and you know, I didn't want to replicate the show, but I was like, let's take that same mentality. Like we're going to be locked down for who knows how long people are going to be scared. People are going to have all sorts of feelings that we don't even know what the fuck it's going to be. Let's, let's get this on tape. You know, let's see how people react. Let's see what artists want to create. Let's see how, you know, what kind of weird shit we could do. And let's make sure we do- let's, let's document this time. Cause it's going to be, it's going to be tough, but it's going to be unique, you know? Um, so the first, so I was, you know, I was in Texas and it was, I had like, my team setting up this like camera rig in the space, two of my partners had COVID, they were out of commission. And so it was just me remotely with unlike FaceTime with them, trying to figure out how to build a live stream and also tell them how to set it up with our whole gear. And, and I literally felt like I was sending these guys into like Chernobyl. Like the looks <laughs> on their faces were like, you know, they had masks on, we didn't know how bad the virus was. And it was really tough. I was like, is this, is this even, like, I'm not there. I felt a lot of guilt. You know and it was really tough and really emotional and then you know we realized what the true extent of the virus was and we said we can't (laughs) this is the last thing we could do is have this on-site party where everyone comes and this is a bad idea so we shifted gears and we decided that you know we'll just use it to as sort of a framework to allow other artists and people in the community to tap into as a medium and express themselves during the lockdown And so I'd been working with these great web designers who are now close collaborators of ours. We worked together on a lot of things and we were designing a new website. And I said, guys, like, can we just put this on pause and just build this, this TV channel together? And they were, they were like, we're down. And we spent the next like, you know, week, just day and night building this thing. I had never built, you know, something like that before. And it was so invigorating because, you know, there was no monetary compensation. We weren't paying them. We didn't have any way to make money from it. So it was a purely creative endeavor in just this survival of the instinct time. And it was amazing to see everyone band together and build this thing together with no money at stake. You know, it was amazingly gratifying. And so we built a mechanism for artists to utilize, um, to tap into it and to, to raise money through it, um, you know, through a donate feature or whatever. And uh, it was crazy, you know, because it was just, we, our, most of our staff was furloughed. Um, myself, my partner ended up getting better, thankfully. And it was just, he and I running it, you know, I was doing sort of like the operation the direction of it. And he was doing the music programming and, um, yeah, it started out with a lot of just sort of weird self-produced stuff where, um, people on a team would, would create either custom, you know, like works or mixes superimposed over really calming footage that we'd put together in a contextual way and we framed them as shows. Um, so we did like a show called ambient nature where my partner would do an ambient mix and we would superimpose it under archival footage of like national parks and weirdly it got, you know, pretty substantial viewership. We had like a couple hundred people watching on a daily basis. And a lot of people told us that it really provided a lot of calm for them, you know, during that time. And then eventually we, we started doing a show at new school. Um, we started doing a show with a couple of different, um, uh, big time creative agencies that, you know, are friends of ours. So it became this sort of community co-created thing where everyone was taking this sort of conversation starter, which was the channel and providing, you know, creating something contextual to it. Um, it was a tremendous amount of work. And, you know, now that we're reopened, we're figuring out ways to, again, capitalize it in some way that's sustainable when it's not, uh, really, uh, so... I, I like to say that we're the only, we're the only idiots that in this time are trying to build a not-for-profit, uh, you know, extension of our business and, and a not-for-profit arts program as an extension of our business, but, you know, it's exciting for us and it's been a great creative outlet for a lot of people. And, um, it certainly has made us feel like, you know, we had the, uh, powerful ability to create an even more dynamic organization when, you know, we were facing extremely challenging circumstances. So we, we feel very proud of that.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. It's uh, I think it it goes back to your earlier point of like, these are the things that kind of make this place a place where people want to be and come experience it, you know, because there's like a, there's a genuine creative force that's just testing these things. And like without any you know there's no money involved it's uh i don't know that's a it's a pretty beautiful thing i love it is it does that do you have plans of keeping that going and just sort of curating that more and more
1: so space is reopened now uh, we started to sort of integrate some of the tv programming into the public space we do these wednesday night screenings in the garden uh, we're going to start doing some of the more like artistic experimental things as installations within our live room um, so really, we think there's an opportunity to evolve it. You know, it started as a cheap TV channel because that was the the need or the opportunity at the time, given the circumstances. But what I've realized, thinking through it during now this next evolution of of uh, you know the organization, is that our value is not in distributing video content. The value is really our ability to bring together creative people. Um, and create artistic expressions that are reactive to certain social conditions, right? Which to me is not really about a TV channel that could be expressed and articulated in a in a variety of different ways. So, you know, we're going to keep the channel as an asset, um, but as an asset of a larger endeavor, which is the you know offshoot of Public Records' sort of art initiative.
0: That's amazing. Uh, it. I mean, you really took took the time to tap into the energy that you needed right now because that's i'm sure being closed was a a ch i mean it had to be challenging to make that decision
1: definitely challenging but also i think valuable in the sense that you know i think everyone should find ways to try to take a step aside and create some space and distance from the things that they're so immersed in because that's often when you know big 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 strokes happen um, or maybe we just convinced ourselves of that, but yeah, we've, we found definitely, we found value in, in being able to have a minute, um, to, to rethink things and, and, um, have more of a bird's eye view of, 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 uh, you know, the big picture. So at the end of the day, yeah. we're just, we're just trying to do cool shit.
0: That's awesome, man. I, I think we should wrap it up on that note. I think you just, I think you just dropped the mic.
1: <laughs> yeah, this was a blast, I- man. And by the way, it's so, um. It's been, it was reconnecting. It has been like a highlight of my past couple of weeks. Um, So glad I thought to reach out and great, great to be back in touch and look forward to following, you know, along with this journey you're on and, you know, contributing in any way that I can. And I would love to keep the dialogue going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to do this because it's a, it's a large chunk of time by today's standards. And I'm, I really enjoyed this. This is, yeah, it was a blast,
1: great.
0: totally. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Shane Davis, Public Records. You can check him out at publicrecords.nyc.com, on Instagram, at publicrecords.nyc. That was a beautiful conversation. Shane is a he's an enlightened dude. He's been through the gauntlet himself and shared just incredible things. I love the creative force that comes out of him. Uh, you can feel that energy even recording digitally. I'm also excited to see what they are coming up with at Public Records. Uh, Their platform sounds amazing. We'll definitely keep you guys posted. Follow those guys. I think they're gonna be doing some incredible things. Peace out, appreciate everybody. Chris Williams, thank you brother, appreciate it. And uh, shout out to my mom, always. Later.